I see the shrinkage of the evangelical world. I see the loss of passion for the unreached. I know the stats, you know, but I also know that there is a new wave and new revival, new great awakening coming. Welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast, a podcast for Christians spooked by the growing hostility in the culture today. We will tackle a range of topics from current events, persecution, missions, and what it means to be the church. You will gain valuable insights from those experienced working with persecuted Christians around the world, insights we all need to chew on in these strange days. Together, may we help the church stand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. I'm Andy Coleman, your host, and I'm pleased you're joining us for another episode. And today I am pleased to introduce our guest, David Joannis, and he is going to be talking to us about missions and persecution, but he has a very unique perspective that I'm excited to dig into. And in fact, I'm just going to briefly read from his biography just to set the stage, and we're going to get some more context from him. But I think when I read this, you're going to get why I'm excited to have him as a guest today. David Joannis is the co-founder and president of Within Reach Global, which serves the advance of the gospel in some of Southeast Asia's most difficult places. David has a love for language, culture, creative writing, and for the last 20 years, he has witnessed God's kingdom established in forgotten parts of the globe. He is passionate about the 1040 window, unreached people groups, the Great Commission, and all things missions. The fact that over 2 billion people have yet to hear the name of Jesus does not sit well with him. David began his missionary journey by smuggling Bibles into China. He has been interrogated for his faith over 20 times. Occasionally, he has hid from the authorities under the sway of bamboo in the dim glow of moonlight. He has eaten meals with headhunters and shared the gospel with tribal witch doctors. He has been apprehended by over 100 child soldiers carrying AK-47s and has journeyed to some of the world's most forgotten regions. But in the thick of such precarious situations, David has also seen the kingdom of God established among unreached and unnamed people groups. He has witnessed secret baptisms, taught at underground Bible trainings, and raised up a group of local missionaries who are planting churches among hard-to-reach animist, Islamic, atheist, and Buddhist tribes. David, that is quite a background. We are thrilled to have you. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much, man. I don't think there's any embellishment whatsoever in that biography. <laughs> as, as you read it to me, I, I look back because you read certain things. You, you say the sway of bamboo, you know, under the moonlight yeah. glow, running from the police. I'm taken to every single one of those moments as you read that. I'm like, wow, yeah. that, that did happen. It's amazing just being a small part of the big thing. And uh, I think that's the, the real story of my life. I accidentally show up at the right place at the right time because God is always at work. Yeah. And he scans the ground and says, yeah, you'll do. Yeah. And he moves through that. And you're right. We get to play a small role in a big work. But sometimes I need to remind myself how big this work is. This is a work that spans generations, history. I mean, cultures, we read our, our history books, and the church was alive and growing at every point of that. God is at work. So what a privilege that we get to be a part of that, that God chooses to use us, that he permits that. 
Absolutely. And God forbid we look at this present time, this present scenario, and there's a lot of things happening in America or the country of my birth. I haven't lived there for 23 years, but in America and China and Thailand, and it seems like everything is tumultuous and out of control. But what you just said, people will look back in five and 10 and 50 years from now and say, God was at work in 2021. He is doing amazing things right now. Maybe some of it flies under the radar for us, but we got to attune ourselves to what the Holy Spirit's doing and join him in that endeavor. Amen. Amen. That is well said. And one of the things you, you described that things are going on around the world. Some of it seems tumultuous and other parts are really exciting when we get to hear of how God's moving in certain areas. But one of the things we try to arm ourselves with is context. It seems like the church suffers in some quadrants from a lack of context, historical context, missional context, preparation for suffering and persecution, and just what that looks like. So we're obviously very excited to dig into uh, your experience because you have context to offer. But I read that exciting biography, uh, that very brief summary, but could you just unpack that a little bit more and tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you came into ministry? Absolutely. Thanks so much again for the opportunity, Andy. It's great to be here. Um, my story is, looking back, I wrote about this in my first book. It's called The Space Between Memories and um, kind of this journey that walks along and sees these divine connections. And mine starts when I was actually three years old. It was 1981, born in 78. And Ooh, you were almost born in the best year. Not quite. You're close. Ooh, which is? 79, of course. 79. Oh, yeah. That's, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're 42. You're, you're close. Yeah. <laughs> Give and take a month, I guess. I'm 43 at present. So, uh, well, hey, we're both exennials. So I, I think either one is pretty good. <laughs> but I was, I was three years old, 1981. And my mom reiterates this story later to me. I'm sitting there looking at a National Geographic magazine. She's sitting next to me at 4240 Kearney Drive in Prescott, Arizona. And I look over at her and said, Mommy, I saw a picture of China probably a farmer like walking gracefully through the mud rice terraces with water suspended on both shoulders. And I said, I, I want to bring bread to the kids of China. I have no idea why I said that probably somewhere along the way. She said, eat your veggies or starving mm -hmm. kids in China. <laughs> and um, about 12 years later, 15 years old, I went on my first mission trip with teen mania ministries. If you recall, acquire the fire and run loose. And I remember smuggling Bibles putting them in my backpack and roller bag and shoving tracks down my socks and walking through the labyrinth of Hong Kong into China. And we had all these code words. We could not call them Bibles and tracks. Instead, we called them crumbs for the tracks and bread for the Bibles. Hmm. I walk into Shenzhen. Moment I walk in there, it's pouring rain, a deluge in Shenzhen, China, Southeast China. And the Holy Spirit says, David, you're bringing bread to the kids of China. And I was born in a Christian home. We memorized scripture together as a family. I got glimpses here and there of, you know, the missionary heart of God by reading old missionary biographies, Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, et cetera, Bruchko, Jim Elliott. But um, there I was, and I felt like I was in, in a long queue, in a long line of these heroes and, you know, saints of the past. And there I was, another small part of the big thing, and I, I remember that night I went to Hong Kong back to where we were staying after we delivered our Bibles to the bakery, which was a storehouse. And then they went on across China. And I said, God, you could, you could have my life for, for Asia, for the unreached, 
willing to go anywhere, eat anything and sleep anywhere and do anything. And I'll tell you what, as you can see by the early bio there, he took me up on the offer. <laughs> and yeah. over the last 23 years, my wife and I are now uh, leading this organization within Reach Global. It is growing. We're in exciting times. We're seeing salvation and people join. Um, we just don't have enough time to talk about all the amazing things that God has just, in his grace, allowed me to be a small part of. It's so exciting. What was it like when you were a young believer working with believers in China and smuggling Bibles like that? That's a great question. I was 18 years old when I moved to China. I started digging into Mandarin, studied for four years. So as the language was coming to me, it came rather quickly. I was single, uh, didn't have anything else to do, wasn't internet, just starting around that time. And uh, so I was hitting the books hard and traveling a lot with all these underground church leaders and pastors and missionaries. And they were just normal run of the mill kind of guys. You would never pick them out of a crowd and suspect that they're this, you know, leader or pastor of X number of dozen or hundred or thousand people. And there's a couple things I saw great humility in the church that is suffering. After talking to Nick Ripkin, the insanity of God author, I don't make the distinction anymore between the persecuted church and the not persecuted church. There's only one church, Amen. but our brothers and sisters who are suffering and under persecution have taught me about that humility, as well as that suffering they have embraced. In Chinese, we say chiku, eat, eat suffering. They're so accustomed to chiku, to eating suffering, to to being in the midst of great difficulty, persecution uh, for their faith. And through that, such a joy and a purity of the robust gospel exudes out of their ministry efforts. I think it's something we've lacked in the West. We haven't experienced the extent of suffering, perhaps it's coming, but we haven't experienced it like many parts of the world. But where there is great suffering for the gospel and persecution, there is the great seeds of revival. Now, perhaps some of our listeners are hearing this, and it makes them nervous. They they hear this talk, talk of suffering, suffering and pressures that are building. Mm-hmm. And can you just describe how, when new believers come into the fold in China, did you ever get the opportunity to, to witness that? And how would they prepare somebody just walking into the faith for persecution and pressure? Because we're trying to learn how to do that you know, whether we're in Europe or North America or other more comfortable places to be a Christian, but we're thinking through this, but we're trying to prepare. How did the Chinese church prepare new believers for suffering and persecution? Well, first of all, I have to apologize for laughing out loud there um, because it's a serious matter Mm -hmm. and we are considering these things. I think the reason is um, going back to those early days, and then I'll answer your question in a second here. I I was with Pastor Samuel Lam, who was in prison for 21 years of his life in Southeast China for being a believer. And every time he would tell his story, this deep cackle would come out of him. And he would laugh and say, 21 years in jail, more persecution, more growth. That's the history of the church. And so that's the context for why I kind of snickered there. But the reality is suffering is not fun. And yeah, when people come to faith, they immediately know there's going to be a deep break culturally, familially, with their family. Um, And they are suddenly on the top of the wanted list, if you will, for China at that time, specifically, 
things have changed, but there is a persecution still taking place. But sometimes we do perpetuate that persecution narrative. But when their journey begins, they get baptized in a bathtub secretly in the top of a fifth story apartment block. It's not like we go out to the lake and have a picnic and the whole church comes and sings a hymn. It starts covert. Initially, they realize the great grandeur of this new decision they're making. And it immediately starts with loss and suffering, but there's such a rich, deep joy when the truth comes. So um, there seems to me such a purity in that. Are people not afraid in China? Like the Chinese are less afraid of suffering than than Americans. I I don't think that's the case. Uh, Humans in general just don't like suffering. We like comfort. We like convenience. Um, But there does come a reality when there is something that you've experienced and tasted for the first time, the life of the gospel, the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit in and through you, inundating your life. Um, people are willing to make those breaks joyfully, even though it costs them very yeah. much in the end. I did not spend a tremendous time in China. I did a little bit, and I got the real honor to rub shoulders with some of the believers and some of the house church leaders there, and I was really blessed by that experience. One of the things I took away from my conversations, but I don't know how broadly this was applied, was that some time ago, some house church leaders discovered that if they didn't address persecution early on, that new converts were likely to be blindsided, that they were to be surprised coming to the faith, and they could be tempted to think that everything was going to be easy and wonderful, and that just wasn't the case. So they would speak to this, they would prepare believers early on, and And that's one of the things that has stood out to me as I meet believers in other parts of the world who are confused by the changing times and the increasing pressures. I think that we need to get more into our mindset of suffering and persecution early on so that when it does really mature and and hit, that we're ready for it and we're not going to be blindsided. Is there any truth to that? Is that broadly applied in the Chinese house churches or the, the other areas you're working in? It is. We're working in China, Myanmar, and Thailand. Thailand has the least amount of persecution. However, on the flip side of that, it is the least reached country in this whole region. It's less than 1% after 193 years of Protestant missionary work, 0.77% to be specific. There is an embracement of suffering. And uh, recently, a leader in China is from Chengdu. He wrote this poem. It's a beautiful poem. I can't find it off the top of my head right now, but uh, it's all about suffering. He actually addresses suffering and says, dear suffering, you have taught me how to love, how to love Jesus, how to love people. It it was a striking detailed reality. I mean, it reminded me of this by Spurgeon. He said, when a man's heart is so stirred that he weeps over the sin of others, he is elect to usefulness. Winners of souls are first weepers for souls as there's no birth without travail. So there's no spiritual harvest without painful tillage. When our own hearts are broken with the grief of man's transgression, we shall break other men's hearts. Tears of earnestness beget tears of repentance. Mm. Um, when there's that embracement of suffering uh, across the board, you see this in, in films like Frontier Alliance International comes out with uh, Sheep Among Wolves 2, Volume 2, uh, about the underground church in Iran. Everywhere you look and see the church suffering, you go on Open Doors World Watch List, top 50 countries where it's most difficult to be a Christian, you see a direct equation between suffering and great revival. If we're praying and crying out for revival and not taking the words of Jesus to heart, 
his promise, when you follow me, you will be persecuted. (laughs) That's not one of the promises of Jesus we like to gravitate towards. It is a promise for you who are listening today, sadly, in some cases. But on the other hand, like the two first missionaries to the Moravians, they set sail from Copenhagen off to the islands where they were willing to be sold as slaves. And they said, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. Jesus suffered for a purpose, a point. It's for the redemption of humanity, and we're very much included in that process. Yeah. And again, to any listeners that this might sound like an alien concept, I would challenge you to just look back on your own spiritual walk, and I bet that you're going to find there were periods that you suffered, that you went through challenges, that there were hardships, and you learned to lean more into Jesus and tap into the Spirit, and that's where God carried you and helped you. So the same thing happens through the church. So as pressures build, just recognize that and remind yourself of that as things come up. We will return to the podcast momentarily, but first, a word from our sponsor. Being a Christian today can be hard. This is true if you live in a heavily persecuted country like Iran or areas where cultural pressures against Christians are growing fast, like America and Europe. Fortunately, none of us have to stand alone. We are part of a giant body, one huge spiritual family that spans the globe. That is the church. The Christian Emergency Alliance is committed to helping the church stand, regardless of the pressures to come. As a 501c3 nonprofit, the Christian Emergency Alliance strives to help our spiritual family when persecution hits. We also strengthen the church by supporting ministry that makes Christ famous, defends biblical truth, and prepares fellow believers for challenges ahead. You have the opportunity to make a huge impact in this work today. Become a monthly financial ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance by signing up at christianemergency.com. Your support of $25 a month or a gift in any amount will bless those who need help in these darkening days. Help the church stand today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Register today at www.christianemergency.com. And now, back to the show. You, you touched real quick on Myanmar. There's a lot going on in the world right now. Afghanistan is it's a rolling humanitarian tragedy. Uh, the church is caught up in that, but the church, you know, we need to be praying for the Christians in Afghanistan. But there's also other hot spots where the church is really going through the grinder, and one of them is Myanmar, and it's not getting the same level of attention. Do you have any update that you could share with our listeners on what's going on in the church in Myanmar today? Yeah, I'm actually very close friends with a guy named David Eubank. He's the founder of Free Burma Rangers. I'll give a shameless plug out for them right now because I am just so blessed and amazed about what they're doing as they serve the underprivileged and forgotten in Myanmar. It's the the 72nd year of the Burma conflict. It has been going on a long time and there's ebbs of flow of persecution among the five ethnic tribes that are targeted by the Burmese government, Karin, Kachin, Shan, Wa, and I'm missing the last. Uh, I can't recall. You could Google it. Um, the closest of those to me has been the Wa. I've traveled mostly among this former headhunting tribe. That's where I got caught with the M22s and AK-47s with them. Mm-hmm. They're now the narco smugglers in Myanmar, as well as, as other issues. But the problem is ongoing. Our, our missionaries there have sent us graphic photos of a couple of things. Number one, churches being demolished, crosses being torn down. The buildings are being burned. Um, There has been death among Christians. On another front, I am a part of this group, like I said, with David Eubank of Free Burma Rangers. I think it's freeburmarangers.com. I'll confirm it for you here in a short. We'll put it in the show notes. 
Okay, sure. Yeah. And there's a great movie about it, by the way. It's freeburmarangers.org, by the way. And uh, there's a movie that goes along with it you could easily find. He sends me these photos daily of people who are losing their life, landmines, aerial bombings. What you know about Afghanistan and how it's dominating your news feeds, very similar situation is taking place presently in Myanmar. I would encourage people to pay attention Yes, to what is happening around the world, especially, but, but we get inundated by one thing and distracted from the others very easily. I think the suffering that people are going through need to remind us of that heartbeat of Jesus who would leave the 99 for the sake of the ones, that desire of God that all men come to repentance, all men and women come to repentance, none perish. So the things that are happening in Myanmar are, are tragic. And yet, I won't go into the whole story right now, but there are these incredible stories. One is about a guy we call Yellow Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with that. I did write about uh, in a whole chapter at Gospel Privilege, my recent book, powerful incarnational story of this Chinese missionary going into Myanmar, causing some huge difference, rescuing girls who were sold on the black market for $500, adopting her into his home. And then they look at him. The Burmese looked at this Chinese missionary and said, you know, you're a yellow Jesus to us. And that powerful incarnational aspect of ministry, that's how his name stuck. Uh, but there are great things happening uh, amidst the tragedy because God makes beauty from ashes. Yes. And in that suffering, there's just so many opportunities to try to bless people that are struggling. There's opportunities for the gospel to go forth. It's just a lot for us, but I, I really appreciate you sharing that update on Myanmar. And if you're listening right now and you haven't been following it because it's not covered much in the news, take this opportunity just to lift it up right now. Pray for them. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ in Myanmar. Pray for those that are being saved in Myanmar. And we'll just you know redeem that opportunity because we're, like David said, we're one church. That's our brother and sister over there going through all of that. So we can't forget them. Tell me this. When you look at the church around the world. Of course, you're working a lot in Southeast Asia. How would you describe the missional heartbeat of the churches in other areas, like like Europe, like North America? What, what does it look like to you today? I was just about to, before you said the word today, I was going to ask you, do you mean in 1860 to 1888, or do you mean present tense? Present tense. <laughs> present tense, man, because a little different from the missionary generation, as sociologists called them at the time. I mean, those were the days when Europe and America were sending throngs of missionaries across the world. There was this missional zealousness for the lost and people were abandoning people were people were packing their bags in coffins, taking long ships, cruises across the world to die in the place where they were going to serve. As you move into this post-Christian or moving into a post-Christian culture in some places, Europe's been there for some time. I know that's a reality. I know that the evangelical world is shrinking. Even the term evangelical or evangelicalism has taken on pejorative connotations these days. I still hold to its original intention, but I do gravitate towards these different people who are seeing different movements taking place. So I could answer and say, it's terrible. No one cares about missions anymore. The church isn't doing anything for the lost. And, and we have lost a lot of that zealousness for the robust gospel and the privilege we have as believers and its responsibility it entails. Then you got these guys like Jean-Luc Traxel of Europe shall be saved in, in Zurich. And uh, even the, the, the name of their organization, Europe shall be saved. That's a glass half full kind of guy. 
I, I watch their news feed. I mean, on Instagram feed, people in Russia and France and in Germany, they're all over the place. People laying down at altars, giving their life to the gospel, giving their lives back to Jesus. There is things percolating underneath the surface, I think, that we miss. Even our country, America, you know, we see the digression uh, from Christian values where even if it was just a cultural thing to go to church because, you know, that's what you should do. Um, we've totally moved to an antithetical viewpoint to that. You know, you don't darken the doors of a church these days. Otherwise, you're one of them, you know, and you know what that means. <laughs> mm-hmm. Quotation marks and equate it to whatever you want it to. So I know I see that's a reality. I see the shrinkage of the evangelical world. I see the loss of passion for the unreached. I know the stats, you know, but I also know that there is a new wave and new revival, new great awakening coming. I'm sorry to answer the question so long, but this will be the last thing I say, Andy. No, you're good. When I was writing The Mind of a Missionary, this is my second book. I was studying a lot about these cycles in, in history where things kind of shift and come back to how they used to be over different generations. There's a great book called The Fourth Turning about that. And um, I was looking back at what sociologists call the missionary generation. Like I said, it is 1860 to 1882, I think. Uh, That's where all our missionary heroes and legends came from. Strangely, all these generations passed until we get to Gen Z. Boomers, well, we went for the greatest. They get the best name. (laughs) And then boomers went to Gen Xers. Uh, went to millennials. Now we're in Gen Z and you can see Barna's stats about Gen Z. It could be disheartening, but as far as socially, the thing that they carry, it is so similar to the missionary generation of the past where all these missionaries were thrust forward. If we could harness that passion, disciple a generation, we can see this great awakening take place again. And I think that's what it comes down to. It's that Matthew 28 call, man, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Make disciples, teach them, raise them up. I sense that you're onto something. I sense a, a low boil going on. It may not be attracting a lot of attention, but there is a, a hunger and a thirst for spiritual authenticity. That's why I am so excited to be talking with you today. I think the more that young believers, really, regardless of your age, as you're listening to this and you're, as we're talking about a missional heartbeat and what God is doing and the privilege that we get to have potentially in playing a small role in any of that and just surrendering ourselves to that, I sense that something is building, something is crescendoing. And I think this is an important point to make too. I just feel that in many countries around the world, you have a lot of pressure building right now. You have COVID restrictions. You have social movements that really hold the Christian faith in disfavor. All kinds of things in schools, in workplaces, in the community— And I sense that there is a temptation. Uh, Maybe you're feeling it today if you're listening. There is a temptation among Christians to become more inward-focused, to become more closeted, to kind of turn into the four walls of your church and just stay there, to get quiet. But I actually think that it is right now that we need to look out. We need to be outward-focused. We need to be thinking about how can I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with my neighbors, how can I learn more about the lost across the world, those that Christ loves, the lost people, the unreached people groups, the 1040 window that David mentioned? I think now is the time not to cave to that pressure to go inward, but to instead lean into the pressure, almost like a wave that's coming into the shore. 
you lean into it and you're going to be better off than if you try to run from it or duck it. That's what I sense going on right now, David. What would you say to that? I think you hit the nail right on the head. This is what a little short quote I wrote in Gospel Privilege. Surrounded by pervasive spiritual poverty and gospel deficit, this is a bad time to be a church week in mission. It is always going to be inundated. As I was recently researching, I'm, I'm a total geek when it comes to researching all these different crossovers and cross points about revivals and awake great awakenings of the past. But there's this really, uh, I'm going to sound like even more of a geek. Here we go. Mm-hmm. There's a cool thing called Google Ngram. It's basically you put in a term or a word, a phrase, and it searches its usage over time. So I put in the word gospel privilege. Used to be something we were we were privileged to have the gospel of Jesus. It was it dominated conversation throughout 1850s, roughly around there. The first time it appeared was 1658. This privilege of having the gospel always coupled with the duty to share the gospel. And um, then you add a couple more terms. Add gospel privilege with white privilege and male privilege. What do you think dominates out of those? <laughs> it's easy to tell. Um, gospel conversations slipped out of our lexicon. And now we're embroiled and inundated with conversations about the negative and pejorative context of privilege. And so we've lost that feeling of the privilege of having the gospel. Well, it's, it's a naughty word now. But that's always going to be there. It was in the days of Jesus. It was in the days of Nero. It was in the Cultural Revolution of China. In many ways, it is today. But we, yeah, you're right, Have to can't be a church weak in mission. It's a bad time for that. We need to strengthen ourselves with the reality of our salvation in Jesus and his grace. And that is for everyone, the Saul's and the Paul's alike. I think you're right. I think in many contexts, we've allowed the culture to drive the narrative, the culture to drive definitions, to shift definitions. And we just need to be aware of that pattern playing out and instead, you know, really realize that we have a privilege as uh, recipients of the gospel message as those that are are saved, and we need to love our neighbor by carrying that to them and giving them the opportunity to know Jesus, and we need to really pray for support and send to reach these massive people groups that don't really have access to the gospel. That's a big challenge. That's a tall order, but it's a small thing for our God, and there's so many opportunities for us to play a role in that, and it's really not just underreached, it's under-resourced. So that is something that the church can really look to. There might be easier ways to do outreach. There might be more convenient ways to do that. But it's not about convenience. It's not about comfort. We need to take this gospel message forth and do so with some sense of urgency. Uh, that's why I love the name of this podcast, mm-hmm. Christian Emergency Podcast. I was telling you before we went live, totally the first thing it reminds me of is that Leland song called Tears of the Saints. This is an emergency. And it doesn't say there are tears of the saints because of the tangible things that they're lost, like their car got broken down or their computer got smashed. (laughs) It's because the lost and unsaved. You're talking about a billion and a half. Some people say 2 billion people who've never once heard the name of Jesus. I walk into villages in China and literally I walk in and say, which of course you'd say the same thing, right? Oh, of course. (laughs) something along those lines i say do you ever hear of jesus you ever heard of jesus here and you would be appalled at the answers i get i get i got one this guy said he didn't want to lose face 
that he didn't know this Yesu Jesus guy that I was talking about. So I said, uh, he was here last week, but he, he went to the village to look for a job. So I just missed Jesus <laughs> day or two. Another guy said, is that a brand of a soap? Like I was some international businessman trying to monopolize the soap industry in his, his village. They have no concept of who Jesus is. To me, that's very much a part of my day in and day out in a gospel dead zone like Thailand. But we have to realize that people are, they have a gospel deficit in their life. If it's not inaccessibility, like the 1040 window and unreached people groups, if it's in the American context, it's a gospel deficit of understanding the robust gospel and what it truly was when Jesus was sharing the message of the kingdom. Uh, lots that you covered there. Um, I love that video, Tears of the Saints. It's very powerful. One of the things that, as we're trying to prepare the global church, the global body, to turn outward focused instead of getting more insular and really just leaning into the pressure and going out into the communities and going out amongst the nations, even when there's travel restrictions, I would just submit that we don't have the luxury of resigning ourselves and saying, well, it's too hard now, or, oh, that would have been nice five years ago. No, the challenge is before us, and we got to figure out a way. God's going to move through that. We just got to be willing and faithful to go. But you're touching on something that I think is very important for our audience to, to wrestle with. And that is, we're going to be grateful when churches launch more people into the harvest fields, more people into missions. We're going to be really excited about that. But David, you and I both know that it has happened many times where people launch and they eventually can't do it. They burn out in a sense after a while. And there's different reasons for that. If you're going into the spiritual war, you're going to take some rounds and that comes with a cost. But also sometimes I think we can be thinking, like you said, when you're describing Tears of the Saints, um, it's not just because of my smashed computer or I got into, you know, my car broke down. I think one of the very important things we can emphasize to not just launch more missionaries, but to help them sustain their operations is the focus on God. We're serving him. The results are up to him. They're not up to us. We're, we're wading into a mass of humanity, a mass of lostness that is messy and hard. And the results may not be what we hope for, or maybe we deal with people that really rub us the wrong ways or frustrate us or betray us. And if we're really looking to people as the, the barometer of our success, I think that that is a recipe for disaster. But I think if we can keep our eyes frozen on Christ and just turn it over to him and let him do what he wants to us, then I think we have more staying power. What's your take? Uh, my take is I don't even know why I'm a guest on this podcast. It seems like you could carry this conversation without me. You're not true. <laughs> everything you're saying, I totally resonate with Andy. I mean, we, we need to get back to those old, remember the old hymns. What, what happens when you look unto Jesus, right? The things of the world grow strangely dim. In fact, sorry, I keep referring to this book I just wrote, but it's fresh in my mind. I just finished it. But um, one of those early conversations was about turning your eyes upon Jesus or the privilege of the gospel. It's written 1658 by a guy named Isaac Ambrose. The book was called Looking Unto Jesus. 
And I wrote this book about gospel privilege and, you know, the unreached people groups and what is the privilege we carry and how does it juxtapose against white and male privilege and other privileges. But his initial intention, 1658, was looking unto Jesus. That's our gospel privilege and that's our responsibility. Out of that then flows evangelism and faith sharing and much more. But I think we forget that sometimes when we focus on Jesus, things around us don't have the same allure that they once did. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to go through ups and downs in your business. You're going to go through ups and downs in relationships and family and different joys that you wish you could have. And then C.S. Lewis's words are going to flood into your mind and you're going to hate it because you said something to the effect that when all these things happen, you're going to realize that there's no satisfaction in these small gestures and small things, but we were made for another world. Mm -hmm. And I think living in this space between the now and the not yet kingdom, it's now God's kingdom is here and there's a crossover in every aspect of of the world, but it's not yet complete and consummated in the way we really want to see Jesus enthroned and everyone bowing. We're in the messy middle, but this is a great time to look at Jesus, allow the things of the world to fade away, and the essence of of what really matters come forth. God, his kingdom, people. You might tag a couple other things on there, but it's probably not going to be your car, your computer. I don't know why I keep gravitating those things. (laughs) (laughs) Your investments. God, his kingdom, and people. And that's what matters. And I I pray we hear that emergency um, that this podcast seeks to bring out. This is a time of emergency. This is where the ambulance sirens are ringing and we need to be in tune with what God cares about specifically for those who have yet to hear the gospel even once. Yeah, I agree. I do think that we live in a time of emergency. I only have a a few more questions before we wrap up and I think we're going to have to have another conversation at some point because you have a lot to share about. But with that idea, this time of emergency, there's going to be Christians listening to this or, or other resources, and they're going to say to themselves, okay, I've never done something like this before. I've never taken a baby step or action on any of this, but what I'm hearing is stirring my heart, and I, I want to contribute, but I'm, I'm a little nervous, and I'm a little scared. Did you ever have any sensations? I, I'm wondering, could you speak to that? When you first committed to missions and you took your first steps, perhaps on the, the global scene— Uh, Did you ever have any things like that that gave you pause and made you want to kind of shrink back? And how did you overcome that? What would you share with them? No, I've never experienced fear. I've been interrogated 21 times in China. I don't remember being afraid or fearful or worried about my missions calling at all, not even (laughs) once. So it's strange. (laughs) Of course, I'm being facetious. Um, How many times when I am in an uncomfortable or inopportune situation, I'm telling you, I've been in some crazy ones because I go to conflict zones to begin with, whether it's human trafficking or methamphetamine production areas like Northern Burma, et cetera. And um, I think to myself, what have I done? What in the world did I do? Or depending on your views of sovereignty and (laughs) Calvinism and Armesium, what did God call me to? Basically, how did I get here? Why am I here? And I think we all go through those moments thinking, that fear is an inevitable part. It's okay to, to be fearful uh, in a healthy manner. God is not a safe God. Like Aslan is not a safe lion, but he's good. And I don't think that unscriptural viewpoint that 
brother, God's just not going to ever let you experience more than you can handle. Gee, have you read your Bible? What version are you reading, man? Even the message is clearer than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you will suffer and through it, you will be empowered to overcome the things of the world because Jesus has overcome. How many times have I been worried and fearful? So many, so many times. But I think in my experience, it's not like a big light from heaven or some quick epiphany. Rather, it was a slow, small, monotonous succession of obedient steps. And I just keep plodding on and keep going and keep following hard after Jesus. And then you look back and you see that single footprints in the sand. And um, that is always how it happens. It's not just one of those cheesy posters you had on your wall growing up as a kid. Everybody had that. <laughs> did, did you have one of those? I had the clock. I had a clock with it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we had that too. I can't remember. <laughs> This footprints in the sand. It's not, it's not as cheesy as, as we've known that cliche to be. It's actually very, very true. So in the midst of fear and struggle and difficulty, get ready to be picked up and taken to the next level. But keep walking forward. Keep moving. Keep following, too, because God has a hard time steering a parked car. And I think that's just when you're facing something, and it may be a small thing. You may be taking your very first step. And like David said, I think that that's just one of those opportunities where you can just say a quick prayer. And just pray, God, help me to be faithful in this. Help me get through this thing that's right in front of me. And just be faithful. Seek to be obedient. And many times what you'll discover is that what you feared wasn't that huge of a deal. And now you're actually better positioned. You have more context. And you're actually prepared for for larger pressures. And when those larger pressures hit, same deal. Prayer, just lightning prayer. God, help me to be faithful in this moment and just seek to be faithful and obedient and, and walk forward. And it's interesting to see how God just honors that and moves through that, sometimes very swiftly, but sometimes on a very slow basis. But that is a, a great way that we can start and continue our walk in, in obedience. You mentioned, David, a couple times, and most of our listeners probably know this, but you've mentioned the 1040 window. For anybody that's just listening in and is not familiar with that term, can you describe that for them? Absolutely. Um, the term first originated by a guy named Lewis Bush um, back in 1979, maybe. So it's, it's a little dated. It moved into the Christian vernacular, and some people still haven't caught on to it. For others, it's had its day and needs to be changed already. <laughs> but um, for those who don't know what it is, it is the area of the earth, a rectangle, imagine if you will, north of the equator from 10 to 40 degrees latitude, stretching from Northwest Africa all the way through the Middle East and in through the Asias, ending around North Korea, Japan area. 53 countries that are in that block or our window of the earth, 10 to 40 degrees north of the equator. And that is where the bulk, the majority, I'm talking 98% of unreached people groups live. Eight out of 10 poorest of the poor live, people who are living on much less than a dollar a day. It's where the blocks of Islam, Buddhism, animism, and unaffiliated people like in China, Hinduism reside. Uh, it's, a, it's the hard remaining frontiers that we're called to reach. And um, this is exactly where I live in the heart of it in, in Thailand. Some places are more friendly towards Christians than others, but it is the area that I believe Matthew 24, 14 points to before we see the end, which we want to see Jesus return and we worship. And this is what we do every Sunday in church and throughout our, our week. We want to see him return. But 
Matthew 24, 14, Jesus talking about the end times right in the middle of the wars and rumors of wars and struggle and pandemics. Suddenly he stops and says, but this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to every nation and then the end will come. And he uses the word panta te etni, every nation, every tribe, every ethno-linguistic people group. Basically, he is saying, every, everyone that I've created has got to have a chance to hear. These tribes, they matter to me. And if we don't go and respond to that privilege of sharing the gospel, we perpetuate the Lord's return. I'm not saying that we have it under a timeline and we go and I'll stand on that village and the last people group will hear and boom, we're out of here. Rapture comes. <laughs> Uh, by any means. But I'm saying we need to join the Father heart in his passion for people. And um, then after the Matthew 24, 14 fulfillment comes, we'll stand there. Revelation 7, 9, the culmination of all of history, great crowd of witnesses from innumerable clothed in white robes, holding palm branches, worshiping around the throne of God. And that's what we want to see. That's the culmination of the ages that we want to stand before Jesus and bow in reverence to him. Well, that's good. Thank you for that description of the 1040 window. And as you're describing the the people groups that are contained within that geographic footprint, it really does boil down to a very limited gospel access for these people. There's not a ton of resources. This is the harder places to to get into, to send missionaries, to have people serving and and getting the scriptures in these languages. A lot of challenges there, and it's just not always the focus of churches. So they can be praying about that if they're on missions committees. They can be praying about that and seeing how they can partner with others who are striving to see Christ become famous in those areas. You've touched on this a, a few times during our conversation today, You have researched a lot. You have written a lot. Your most recent book is Gospel Privilege. Can you tell us a little bit more about Gospel Privilege and how our readers could get a copy if they wanted to? Absolutely. Thank you for the shameless plug. I'm glad I didn't have to do it. Uh I just get to respond to it. (laughs) Um, Before I do that, I will give another shameless plug to another group. You just ask people to pray about, you know, this, this area and unreached people groups, I would say go to the traveling team.org slash stats is a great place kind of lumps all these world and global issues together. The traveling team.org slash stats. Very powerful to see how Christian money is spent and misallocation and imbalance of missions. Anyway, I, I really think that'll be powerful um, in response to what you just said, Andy. Uh, yeah. My website Links all these books. Uh, the recent book that I wrote, Gospel Privilege, really the coupling of the word gospel and privilege seems a little bit uh, sacrilegious in some ways, right? Because it carries so many negative connotations, but it's really an awakening of what we've all already known before that we do have the privilege of the gospel and the responsibility it entails. So it talks about different issues and global things and justice movements and socio-political things. It's not highly political by any means, but it does address uh, stories about our privilege, even unlikely unsuspecting people who we wouldn't consider to be the privileged because in Christ, we are all privileged to have the gospel. So different colors and hues and ethnic peoples, all of them share their stories about the power of the gospel, its transformation. It's available on Amazon, all my books, I always buy the URL and say something like gospelprivilege.com will take you there. 
But uh, I, I'm really excited about this because I really feel it's a nod to those who are misusing and even abusing the term privilege when in relation to the gospel, it is a grand privilege that we do in fact have. So I pray it blesses many people as they check it out. And if our listeners wanted to find out more, you mentioned you have a website. What is that website and how can they follow you? And I'll lump another question in there. Besides your books and your website and your content, are there any other resources that you think would be helpful, particularly for people who are just stepping into this world of missions? Yeah. Well, first of all, if you're stepping into the world of missions, go to joshuaproject.net. Joshuaproject.net kind of gathers all these all these concerns about the Great Commission and our call to fulfill it juxtaposed by the problem of the unreached together. And you can see different maps and interactive things about where unreached peoples are. That's my go-to for stats and data that is kind of harvested from different locations. But um, joshuaproject.net is a great resource. There are many, many more out there. But uh, if you want to get in touch with me or even contact me, davidjoannis.com is my personal website. If you can't spell my last name, then forget about that one and go to withinreachglobal.org, which is the ministry that my wife and I founded a number of years ago. And there's links back to my website because our podcast is is on there. We're moving into a sizable expansion, seeing God do great things on the hunt and looking for people who want to serve among the, the unreached. So we do have opportunities for career missions, short-term missions, internships here based in Thailand and beyond. So very excited to connect with you. Withinreachglobal.org will get you all that info. David, I really appreciate you taking a little bit of your evening to speak with us. Um, You've blessed me. You've blessed our listeners, no doubt. And I do look forward to chatting again, hopefully soon. You've got a lot of wonderful insight that we need to glean. So thank you so much for your time. Andy, thank you so much. Yeah, I look forward to reconnecting, and uh, I will most certainly be sharing Christian Emergency Podcast out because I think it's a great name, first of all, but the message behind it and passion is very much uh, part of our DNA here at Within Reach Global. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll chat again soon. Thank you, sir, very much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today for the Christian Emergency Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends about us and ask them to subscribe as well. To learn more about the Christian Emergency Alliance or financially invest in our ministry, visit us at www.christianemergency.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again for listening and stand strong out there.